Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 122. This episode is with the head of sports science at Hartlepool United, Jake Simpson. Jake came on to talk about his transition from playing to coaching. He spoke about why he chose uh, the sports science route over technical coaching. He spoke about any benefits of playing, having a playing career before going into coaching. And then he also gave a great insight into the day in a life of a sports scientist um, in the Football League, but obviously in the National League where he is at the moment. And we also touched on how he prioritises key daily tasks as well. So plenty again in this episode. Um, Thank you to Jake for giving up his time. We did have a few little connection errors towards the end of the podcast. So when we go into the quick fire questions, there was a a little bit of loss of signal. Um, So I hope, just bear with it because it does sort of smooth itself out like these things do on on Zoom. But um, yeah, plenty of quality information in this episode again. I'm recording this actually on the day of our next webinar. So tonight we are uh, doing a webinar with Chris Barnes and Physique Management on sports science, the past, present and future. So when you're listening to this, this is now going to be available on our online community. So if you weren't able to make it to the live webinar, you'll be able to access the webinar on our online community. So just go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, sign up there and you'll be able to access Chris's webinar. But big thank you again for listening to the episode. Please make sure you share it as always and subscribe as well. I've had a few extra people subscribing recently, so please make sure you subscribe to the podcast too, iTunes, Spotify, and also over onto YouTube as well. And I hope you enjoy episode 122 with Jake Simpson. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 122. I'm joined today by the head of sports science at Hartlepool United, Jake Simpson. Jake, thank you for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. It's good to speak to you, Ben. Uh, it's good to, uh, great to have you on, mate. Because I've just mentioned before we started recording, I love to get practitioners on at different levels of the game, and I think there's so much great work that goes on in uh, the lower leagues, leagues, League One, League Two, and you guys are obviously in National League at the moment, um, pretty high up in National League, so that could be changing soon. But I think it's great to dive into what you guys do. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna go into that on the podcast today. But just start us off, mate big part of the podcast, your story and your sort of background, your career so far, which takes you up to your current role. Yeah, no problem. Um, so yeah, at the age of 16, um, I left school um, with the dream most teenage boys had, and that was to become a professional football player. Um, I started off at Blackburn Rovers as a YTS um, and then moved on and had two years as a pro at Shrewsbury Town and Stockport County. Um Again, that came to an end uh, at the age of sort of 20. Um, and from that point, I had to sort of have a little look at, at where I wanted to go with, with my career, my life. Um, unfortunately, as a, a young lad who, who got his opportunity at football, you don't really have a plan B. Um, you get caught up in, I guess I'd like say, your dream, where you want to be, the, the Premier League, the all the, the things that go with that. And then when you sort of back back out of the game you have to you have to switch on pretty quick to what people call the real world um, and work out what direction you want to go so at the age of 20 I sort of looked back on my time in football 
Um, and although there were some good times, it, it's a tough, tough world to be in. Um, and I looked back at times that I had at Blackburn and at Shrewsbury when, unfortunately, I was injured. Um, and I'd been working with people like Russ Wrigley, who's still there at Blackburn Rovers now, and Callum Walsh currently uh, with Huddersfield. Um, and I really enjoyed the, the work that we did together um, off the pitch um, because there's a different side of football that it was quite new at the time um, in, in regards to sports science, the fitness side of things. Um, and I took a real interest into that um, and I found it really intriguing. I, I, I liked the fact I actually knew nothing about it um, and I really wanted to get to know more. I didn't like the feeling of being clueless on that subject. Um, and that led me originally to become a personal trainer. Um, so I did my personal training qualifications. I went into gyms and I, I ran my own business, worked every day, hour after hour with different people, different population groups. And basically that gave me my first exposure to coaching, uh, different to what I do day to day now, but it gave me a real insight into the coaching side of things. Um, and, and again, my, my hunger to know more became quite clear to me and I didn't want to work in a gym forever. I wanted to eventually get back into this elite sports environment that I'd, I'd once been in as a player. Um, so that led me to look into my university studies. I went and did a, an undergrad in sports rehab at the University of Cumbria. And that then led me on to my master's in strength conditioning at University of Salford. Um, and throughout that, I really enjoyed all the studies. I was trying to do as much as possible in terms of placements. Uh, I was working with Carlisle United at the time under Neil Dalton and Lee Fern, uh, when Keith Curl was the manager and doing all my placement hours, working, yeah, the old doing the voluntary stuff, doing the long slog where you're going to uni, you're coming back, you're doing days in the club, you're not getting any financial reward for it, but it gives you the best insight possible. Um, to understand what you're actually getting yourself in for. Um, during my time at Carlisle, um, Lee Dykes was the assistant manager, uh, first team coach at the time. And he actually gave me my reference for my first permanent job, which was down at Chesterfield uh, under Jack Lester. He passed my name on. I went and met Jack. Um, and I started, I think I went and met him on the Wednesday and I was starting on the Thursday. So literally had to up sticks from Carlisle where I was living, moved to back to Derbyshire where my mum and dad were based, started my job. Um, and once again, I was pretty much chucked in at the deep end. Um, a club that at the time was struggling. We had a real scrap on our hands. Um, and from Chesterfield, I then moved on to AFC Fylde where I worked with Dave Challoner for the first time, who then has now taken me up to Hartlepool United um, in the role that I'm currently doing, um, so yeah, it's been a bit of a, a bit of a whirlwind in terms of where I've come from to where I've ended up. But ultimately, I had from leaving full time playing football, I had this drive to get back to the elite uh, environment that I currently work in, um, and I had to put a plan in place to, to get those steps taken so that I was in the best position and I became an effective part of a, a group of staff, which hopefully um, the reference that the gaffer has brought me up here, he obviously feels I've, I'm a big part to play in his backroom staff. Yeah, brilliant. It's interesting to hear that transition from, from playing to coaching. And one thing I was going to ask was what you, you kind of mentioned it there with the interest and sort of intrigue into sports science and, and S and C, but why, 
that route rather than the technical side? Yeah, it's something that I mean, we spoke briefly in the build-up to this. It's something I actually never really thought of in, in the terms of why was it one or the other. Um, again, we talked about that. I had a real intrigue from the work that I'd done during some, some injuries that I'd had. Um, but again, I think, if I'm to be completely honest, I was realistic in terms of my age and my experience that I came out of football. So I was still very young. I was 20, 21 year old. Yes, I'd played the game, but again, I want... It's, I need to make it clear that just playing the game gives you no right to then have roles within it, whether it's a technical coach, whether it's a sports scientist, whether it's a, a goalie coach. It's it's not a, a given right. You don't really get the, the knowledge set required to become a coach. It's a completely different um, field. So at my age and at my experience, I had to basically put a plan together of where I felt was the best possible chance of me getting to where I wanted to be. Um the technical side isn't something I ignore. Um, I'm currently in the process of gaining my UA for B. Um, but again, it was it was probably a bit of realistic thinking in me saying, what can I do to get where I want to get? And ultimately, how quickly can I get there? Mm. Um, and that's what led me, along with the interest, along with my desire to know more and, and learn and, and go back to academic studies, which I'd always been okay as a teenager because I wanted to be a footballer but I always did well at school and it was something that I had a real strong desire to get back involved in um, and it was just again the, the long-term plan that I had was to be in the sports medicine sports science um, side of the game. And what about so you mentioned there about obviously you were young when you came out the game in terms of the playing side and, and stepped into the coaching side but there must be some positives from you experiencing going through the, the youth set up and getting into the professional environment that you've taken over, possibly into your coaching practice. Yeah, definitely. Like I say, I think it's quite easy and probably a lazy way of thinking is, oh, I've played the game, I should be able to get a job because that, that's, not, that's not the way it works. You've got to have a lot more, one about you and also a lot more in your toolbox, if you like, to actually make a success of it. So, I guess one one positive is I've been a player. So at times during seasons, during different periods that you have in your career, I understand what players are going through. Um, unfortunately, I was out of the team quite a bit. Um, so I understand what goes with that. I understand how you're working day in, day out to be a football player, but you're actually not getting the opportunities to go out and play the games. So I understand that when we as uh, sports scientists, practitioners, S&C coaches ask them to do the work, but all they want to do is play football. Um, so I understand that. And although, again, as a now a sports scientist, I have to ensure that I look after the players and condition them as best as possible. I also have a, a little inkling into the conversations that we need to have in order to get them mentally right for that. Um, it's not always easy. Sometimes you have to just hold your hands up and say, look, I know what you're thinking. You don't want to do this, but it's only to benefit you. And, and it's only here to, to help you affect us as a group and as a team now. So I think those are one thing that one thing that I have took over and I, I do use probably day in, day out, is trying to understand the, the psychological side of things with a player. Um, but also, I guess I, I sort of had my eyes open to most sides of football 
Um, again, we just touched on it. You think you've seen it all and then something else happens. So you, you soon have to learn to adapt to that situation as well. But um, again, I, I do have quite a, an open mindset in terms of the good and the bad. Um, so I guess you kind of you try not to get caught off guard. You try and be able to adapt to everything that's thrown at you. Um, but then I guess, again, looking more so, I do have some tactical understanding. I do have, um, I've been in a team where you're given instructions, you know the roles of different positions on a pitch. But again, I, I'm also very wary that I'm not a technical coach. I'm not a tactical coach. It's, it's not really me, my job to pass opinion on anything outside of my sports science department. Um, but again, it, I think as far as, Behind the scenes in the group of staff, I know the manager trusts my opinion. Um, I'd like to think the coaches do as well. Um, but again, it's also a very fine line that I have to step in terms of it's it's not really for me to, to pass too much opinion on that. I will pass it if I'm asked. I'll be very respectful of what's going on around me because, again, my job is head of sports science, so... I should really, if you like, stay stay within my remit and only help out when needed to. So there definitely is some benefits. Um, but again, it's not a case of, well, I've been a player. I should just definitely get a job in football, whatever I fancy doing. It's far from that. Um, it's something that, that you have to be very wary of and, and almost stick to, stick to what you're here for, if you like. Yeah, definitely. I think you used a really key word in that in terms of like the team dynamics and the coach team dynamics is is the respect isn't it that yeah you've played yeah you you probably understand a hell of a lot of the sort of positional demands and um you'll understand the game but you've got to respect the, the roles of your your um the other coaches yeah definitely i think we've got we've got a good group at the minute um, and to be fair, i've been lucky to work with some some good groups of staff with a lot of experience in the game um, again, the manager, assistant, first team coach, goalie coach have all played. Well, I wouldn't even like to know the number of games they've played between themselves. So there's a lot of experience there of the playing side of things. But again, I think it's it's a respect that I think the players will probably have as well um, for the staff where they know it's, again, careful of not falling into the laziness of we've played so we know what we're talking about. But I have conversations with players around play inside of things, what happened when when I played, what the gaffer has it with when he played. And, and the game's changed massively, but they have a respect that ultimately at one point in our career, we were professional athletes as well. Mm. Uh, and there's a lot that goes with that that sort of people don't see. Um, and it's again, it's it's a, it's a, almost a common ground, which I think we've got quite, quite nice here at, at Hartlepool at the minute where we can all have open conversations about experiences, about opinions, about different things that are happening in our league, the Premier League, Championship, whatever it might be. We've all got um, a respect for each other, players to staff, staff to players. Well, we can have those open and, and good conversations that sometimes need to be had. This is probably quite a tough question to answer, but do you think that players are maybe a little bit more receptive to the message and, and some of the training principles that you're trying to put across because they know that you've been in their shoes? Um, I hope so. Um, again, it's not something I've ever sort of, of, of thought about in a way because, again, I've been quite lucky or I've, however you want to look at it, where I've always seemed to have got a bit the compliance from the lads, to be fair. I've never... 
touch wood and uh, had a, a situation where you have someone refuse or you have someone mm. really sort of kick up a fuss about any of the work we're doing. I think my big thing that uh, I learned through studies, through the experiences that I did on placements and stuff is if the players know why they're doing it, I think generally, again, if you can back up the why, mm. they don't have any issues with it. So we're, we're, we're very keen on making sure the lads realise we're not doing anything for the sake of it. We're not doing anything as a punishment. So the physical side of our work isn't a punishment. It's all basically for us to be better as a group. So whether it's the, the t- for today, for example, which has been a tough physical day, they understand we're, we're trying to k- get them to the best possible position for us to be successful as a group. Because again, the level we're at, everyone is ambitious. Everyone wants to improve, we want to play at a better level with Hartlepool United and possibly away from Hartlepool United. So if the lads are all understood that we're not doing anything as a punishment, we're not doing anything just for the sake of it because we did it 10 years ago, 20 years ago in some of the other staff's uh, case, we're trying to do things to the best to obviously help them and and further their careers as well. Then We've had the uh, compliance and we've had the buy-in from the lads to sort of in a way, head down and let's get on with it. And when it's hard, we know it's hard for a reason. And, and there is also times when we look after them because we also know how important family time, downtime is as a footballer. And you spend plenty of time away from your loved ones. So when we get the opportunity, we, we like to sort of give them chance and give them the opportunity to spend time away from the place as well. Yeah, and that's definitely important this year, especially, isn't it? With the we were just talking again before we started recording fixture congestion, which come up time and time again on the podcast. But it's because this year is is pretty crazy. Um, I know your league in particular there's all sorts of fixtures. Um, some teams have played quite a few games. Some teams have played hardly any games. So the fixtures are all over the show, aren't they? So that becomes a really important side of it, doesn't it, to keep that freshness amongst players. Yeah, definitely. And like I say, it's 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 a mad time we're in. Um, again, trying not to to moan and complain because again, there's a lot of people in a lot worse situation than football at the minute. Um, so again, it's it's always important to remember the human aspect of football. I think um, I've seen it from my side of things. And growing up, my my dad was involved in football for years, so I've seen how tough it can be. I've seen how. Lonely it can be at times when you're in hotel rooms and, and you're sort of backwards and forwards. And we're asking lads not to be travelling distances, going home as much as they maybe would like to, staying in hotels, because ultimately their safety is important. But we almost have a bit of a responsibility um, because we've been given, given the opportunity to carry on. We have mm-hmm. to still do it right. Um, but again, there's so much of a human side of football that often gets ignored, I guess, in the mainstream media, not in, in sort of day-to-day working of a football club, but it, it can be tough at times. So making sure that they're right mentally, that they've had the time with kids, wives, girlfriends, whatever it might be they want to do on their days off, that that's as important to footballers as it is any other um, person who has a different job, a different um, industry they work in. So... Yeah, like I say, it's it's tough at the minute, but we, we're very careful not to complain because, again, we could be in a lot lot worse positions. Yeah, definitely. One thing I wanted to do, Jake, on this was um, give the listeners a bit of a, a day in the life. Uh, and I know yeah. this could be interesting. It could go anywhere depending on what day it is. But 
Um, I think it's a really interesting one because um, obviously being in the National League, being a full-time professional outfit, like it'll be interesting just to see some of uh, some of the sort of responsibilities from your point of view that you have. Um, so do you want to just take us through a bit of a, a rough average day? Yeah, of course. So yeah, like you say, this this could be different one day, Tuesday, whatever day we're in, something else gets thrown on your lap. But um, I think generally um, we like to we like to keep things quite consistent. So when we get to work in the morning as a group of staff, we'll have a meeting with regards to the session of the day. Uh, what we want from it, the, the sort of physical targets that we're trying to meet, whether that be external load type of session, um, duration, whatever it might be we want from the day. We make sure everyone's clear on that from uh, the manager, myself, the goalkeeper coach, obviously, so he can plan his logistics of the session. The physio has his input. Um, and then we are we're quite... We, we pride ourselves as a group that we like to be organised, we like to be set up so when the lads come in, they don't see us rushing around, they don't see us trying to quickly chuck cones on the pitch to set things up. We like to have that all done for when the lads start to arrive in. Um, and I think that always gives us a chance then to get around the group, have a little chat, have, have a, I guess, a bit of the banter that you hear about around a football club, which I think is important, especially from my side of things, gauging what the lads are like, trying to get, without going in and going, how do you feel? Are like you sore? Get an idea of where the lads are physically, mentally. Is, is there anyone who you're looking going, oh, he's sat in a corner today. What's up with him? It gives you a nice, nice, probably half an hour time while lads are sort of pottering around activation stuff to, to have a little chat with people and get, get to know them, get, get to know where their head's at for the day before we then go out and do the, do the warm up. Um, so obviously my, my main role in terms of the session becomes the warm up. And I like to structure that depending on where we are in the week, what the focus of the session is. Are we going to sprint them that day? Do we need to prepare for that? Are we doing anything in particular that we need to be wary of? So I need to add in that to the warm-up. Um, so that's the first part of the day, I guess, gets through to the warm-up of the session. And then ultimately I'm in and around it again, probably again, take the mickey out of a few of the lads a bit too much and, and have a laugh with them around the <laughs> training session but ultimately my, my role there is to be to be keeping on top of the live live feedback on the data side of things so making sure we're not doing anything we hadn't planned for if there's anything that we need to be aware of on certain individuals if we've got lads returning from injury is it to the point where that they've got everything they need and um, so again the club have supported us and given us a system where we can use that live feedback and, and again we, we try not to let it drive and completely control our, our work but we use it in a way where we have to make decisions based around what we're seeing. Um, so again, that, that's my main role within the session. Um, following that, uh, the obviously times at the minute are a lot different, but ideally we'd then have our post-session work, so whether that be in the gym, albeit at the minute that, that becomes a lot more difficult and, and uh, the group inside of things and using outside space becomes um, a lot more um, difficult in terms of planning that we do some work after the session it might be with a set group it might be a certain aspect of their strengthening program that they need to do on that day um, and that generally takes us to just after lunchtime um, and that's when I would sit down and start the reporting side of things has the day gone as planned do we uh, need to pick anything up the following day that we've missed out is something gone off plan and we need to adjust the whole week so again that that's where we sort of have a look over the day 
Um, and as a group, we've got a database which we keep on top of with all the, the load data where we know what each drill is going to give us and, and how much we need to do for each day to get what we want. So again, as a group, we try and, and use that time after work, after the session to organise again, keep everything on top of. Um, and then it's my role to, to feed back and outline any changes to the guidelines for the following day, really. Um, so I guess you start planning for um, the next day again. And I guess in football, you are quite repetitive. You, you come in, you set up, you do your session, you report back. Um, but ultimately, it's with the, the long-term plan that we've got as a group of staff of where we want the season to go in terms of physical um, output and physical side of things. And linking that into the fact that, again, it's more than every Saturday we have to prepare the lads for at the minute. But every game we have, are we in the best possible position to play the way the manager wants to, safely in a way that we're not putting the lads at risk um, and ultimately making sure we are doing our best by the squad that we've got to keep everyone out and available. Um, so I guess that that's the, the day-to-day side of things, but um, you then get the fact that we don't have a full-time kit man, so we then sometimes have to go and do any of the washing back at the ground. We've then got... All the different things of if we're at a different site, so we don't have a 3G at our main training base. So if we're on the 3G the following day, we have to pack the van up, get all that stuff over to the ground and, and organise that side of things. So again, you have to be ready for for anything that's chucked at you um, in terms of, again, it's probably not on my job description, but washing the bibs, getting everything organised, making sure that the, the changing rooms are left, left respectable after each game and all these sort of things that, as a group, we are, we're all very open to the fact we always use the word we're a Division 5 club, so we've got no airs or graces about us if we have to get our hands dirty and clean up after each other and, and make sure that, that we try and leave, we try and run an elite environment um, because we don't have the manpower that you see the Premier League teams have and, and, and things like that. But ultimately, we've got a group of staff who are honest, we are, work hard and, and we're willing to do everything we can. So when the players walk through the door, they don't know where they are. They're in an elite environment that we want to create to, to basically push our performances to the to the standard of league we want to be in. Um, and that's no disrespect for the league we're in at the minute. Um, but we all have aspirations to, to move forward and move up. And we have to make create an environment that, that allows us to do that. And that might be doing things that your job description doesn't mention, but it, it, we know it's done for the best of our group of players. Just a very quick update on all of our online community. So I mentioned at the start of the episode that the webinar with Chris Barnes will be available on our online community when this episode goes out. So we have now got 20 webinars available to watch back on demand on our online platform, as well as 10 um, meeting presentations from our networking events that we've held across the UK. And we have started talking and trying to put some plans in place for some events this year as well. So we hope to bring those to you as soon as things calm down and we're able to do that again, um, which we're really excited for. But if you're not already a community member, go and check out the online community. Go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, sign up there, go through the full registration process and that will give you a free month on the community 
You can check out the webinars. You can check out all the amazing content on there. And then if you don't want to remain a member, you can cancel it. If you stay on as a member and you'll be able to access some of the future webinars that we're going to be uploading very soon, it is only £4.99 per month going forward. So go and check it out, footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab and sign up there. Here's part two of the podcast with Jake Simpson. All the things you've mentioned there are just all um, contributing to the culture of the club and the squad, aren't they? Like in terms of hard work, in terms of sort of rolling your sleeves up and that's only going to carry over to, to performance as well. But one thing I was going to sort of pick out that you mentioned was the organisation side of things. So having things set up when the players come in, not just for the fact that it looks good and obviously it saves on a bit of time when the players get there, but the fact that you can then interact with the players and you're not sat behind a laptop or you're not putting cones out when the players are there. Like that must be a really important thing for you to, when we talk about buying, when we talk about relationships, that's, that must be an important time that you can build that. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, I think again, you talk again, listening to people speak and reading things that, that we all look into. There's, there's sort of two ways you can go about that, that side of things. So we've all, heard of wellness uh, checks and, and you can use apps now where they literally press a button and you can maybe get them to fill a form in in the morning. From personal experience, I find out so much more and probably the honesty that comes with it from actually just going and speaking to people. So mm. if I'm running around after myself in the morning and the lads are coming in and I'm busy setting up a warm up, then I ultimately lose an opportunity to to find out where our players are at for the day. Yeah. Um, yeah, I could get them to fill a form in. Do they really pay attention to that? Do they really give an honest opinion or do they say what we they think we want to hear or do they say what they want their day to look like? So if I tell them I'm tired today, will I get anything adjusted? Well, again, I think you'd be very, it'd be very rare to find someone who gets a wellness check in the morning and, actually has the time to genuinely affect the session for the day for that person to probably stay at a minimal risk if you like to to think of it that way so for me and from my experiences that if I can go and be in and around the activation uh, area that we set up that we've got the the glute bands and there might be an individual in there that doesn't normally come in and he's foam rolling he's stretching and I'll that, that straight away tells me that something's different today. So I found out without asking him, I haven't gone in and said, oh, can you rate your muscle soreness for me today? Straight away there in a, am I sore actually? Where's sore? What's this? I can see that Joe Bloggs doesn't normally come in foam roll in the morning. So mm-hmm. what's different today? That's a conversation starter. That opens my eyes to how he's feeling. Or you come in and somebody's wrapped up and, and again, sat in the corner, maybe not particularly doing much. And again, turns out his, his little ones had him up all night and he's he's shattered and he just needs a little quiet corner because he's hardly slept all night. These are the things that I think that time where you could easily have a coffee all morning and shoot out at quarter to 10 before you start and quickly chuck your combs down. But I think it loses a massive part of our day um, where, again, it's not just myself. The coaches are doing the same. You, the, the physio's in and around his room doing what he needs to do. That social side of things and that, I guess it becomes an openness and an honesty thing where you yeah. can't have a conversation with anyone that walks through the door, then that is a massive 
positive for us as staff to understand where the group is because there's a lot of days where it is pretty normal and there's nothing really to report back on and, and brilliant but it's the days where there's something you don't quite expect there's a little feeling around the place there's there's maybe a couple of individuals that aren't quite themselves and and sometimes it just gives you a, an opportunity to go and have a chat with them and they might tell you there's nothing and you just you've, you've thought too much that's brilliant you crack on as normal but there might be the one time where they do explain to you that the little one's been ill or they've not really slept very well or the uh, the mum's been on the phone they're not very well and things like this which again goes back to the human side it's understanding them and almost having a care and not just putting them as a number on a sheet and well their wellness was a number five today well find out why find out that why the person themselves has come into work not quite at their top level and, and try and have a human aspect to it as opposed to just being stuck to forms and and apps and data that ultimately do we do you really use them as effectively as you could anyway so that's my opinion on it and um, there's obviously a lot of research into the other the, the data side of things but for me and I guess maybe it is the level we're at I think the human side of things is massively underrated it, it's so important to understand what your players are thinking on a day-to-day -day basis I think if we're honest with ourselves, we'd rather have a conversation with a person about like what's been going on rather than just filling out a form, wouldn't we? I suppose the side of it that a lot of people would would sort of refer back to filling out forms or using apps or whatever is the scale because you've got to cover uh, uh, maybe 20, 30 players in, in that day. So for you, like I know you've got that time, you can get around as many players as you can, but are you just, are you sort of scanning the, scanning all the players to see the players that you're going to target like what i'm trying to say is how do you cover everyone if you're not if you're not doing focusing so much on the forms and i fully agree by the way that the, the personal side of the conversation is is far more important yeah i think it's a good point i say i'm in a in a situation at the minute where we've got a squad i believe there was 26 trained today so we've still got a decent group that are coming into work every day um and again i think the, the important thing is you get to know people's habits, people's routines. Um, so there's a lot of people that are very low maintenance. They don't need a, a lot of talking to. They don't need a lot of uh, sort of love and care and an arm around the shoulder a lot. There's people that you can pretty much hang your hat on nine times out of ten. They come in, you know what you're going to get from them. Um, and I guess that that's the way where you then have a, a little bit of um, you fine-tune your attention, if you like. So you're looking for anything different. You don't, sometimes you don't have to look at the whole group individually. You don't have to look at every single person um, on an isolated basis. But again, like I said, there might be a dynamic in the group that's different. There might have been something that happened the day before where there's still a little bit of an edge about the group where mm. people aren't quite talking or it might be something really simple and, and sometimes a little bit pathetic at times, which maybe is, is playing, playing part of the, the dynamic of it also. I think, yeah, as a, as a, as a group and as a squad, it's a case of overseeing it all to so having a look at everything that's going on. And then there'll be one or two things that might catch your attention that maybe need a little bit more digging on. It might be a, only one person who you think maybe needs that little chat, that little arm around your shoulder. And it's trying not to make it obvious. It's not going over and saying, look, is everything all right? You know, is what, what's wrong? It's not a case of that. It's just, again, making conversation with people, having a mm -hmm. chat and, and just making it clear that we all care for the players. We all care that 
we want them to be happy. We want them to feel good. We want them to be fresh. We want them to be fit. But again, is there anything we can do to make them feel that little bit better? Because again, you'd like to think nine times out of 10, the group as a whole comes in, you know what you're going to get, you know what you're going to be doing. Um, but again, it's, it's that consistency. It's those habits, those individual traits that you're looking for is, has something changed today from normal? And if so, is, is there a reason for it? Or is it just one of those days? Because we do have them. We all have yeah. them. When yeah. you come in and you're not quite your, your top form, and it might be something as simple as that, but it's, it's trying to get a, a gauge of the habits and the different ways that the, the group works um, and basically trying to see any changes that might happen on a day-to-day basis for me. And that's my, that's my opinion on it anyway. Yeah. Brilliant. And then what about um, sort of getting key tasks for yourself? So how do you identify or prioritize key tasks that you're going to try and carry out per day, but also thinking a bit longer term for like the season ahead? Um, again, there's, I always, I always, again, things, cause there's so many ways that people work. There's so many different methods people sort of use and different things they call upon to get to where they want to do. But I also always feel that we all really have the same goals in terms of what we're looking for. So we want our players to be available. We want them to be fresh and we want them to be robust to deal with what we're going to ask of them. And for me, and again, from what I've learned and, and worked at over the, my career as a sports scientist is can we get the basics right? So can we do the basics, the, again, the 90% as opposed to your 1%, can we get those right first? And that might be that each day of the week has a slightly different focus, but ultimately they all piece together to put us in a position for Saturday. Um, and like I say, that, that's what I feel is the priority. So each day has a different basic, if you like, that you need to get right. What's your, what's your fundamental that you need to put in place today to get that out of the day? What's the fundamental of the next day? And what do those look like come the end of the week or come the Tuesday night when you've ultimately got to put a team out on a pitch to physically work to win a football game? Mm. Um, and I think, again, I personally try not to overcomplicate that. I try not to overcomplicate the work we do um, in terms of getting too fancy with different technologies, different things that you can obviously try and apply to your work. But if we can get those basics right without diluting any of the quality that we're trying to coach and we're trying to provide the players, I think that has a bigger effect on our work. Um, and again, use the phrase bang for book, if you like. We use that a lot here that if we're going to, to put something in place to the players well, why are we doing it what is that going to give us that not doing it wouldn't yeah. um, I feel that again each day is different and it, it's hard to really say one day to the next because the weeks look so different at the minute and, and with fixtures being chucked at you some Tuesday Wednesday Monday Saturday whatever day you might have to prepare for in the build up to that have you put all those basic I guess uh principles of training principles of work into the group and that's not just a physical side of things that could be the technical the tactical the recovery the psychological there's so many pieces of a football club that go together to produce on Saturday or as we said Tuesdays Wednesdays whatever day it might be have we done all the basics right yes you'll need to then fine-tune your ones percents in terms of your recovery your, your different methods that you use in terms of your rehab and that side of things but 
the basics, if you can get those really nailed down and really sort of good quality, I believe that gives us the best chance. Um, and again, back to your original question of priority, that would be different every day. So today, for example, my priority was we needed to expose to sprint work today. Did we do it? Yes, we did. The, the session itself was a, a tough session, big areas, high volume day. Did we do it? Yes, we did. So again, we've got our work done today that we wanted to do. Um, and that then leads us into to the next day of work, which will be Thursday. And again, we'll have a different set of priorities for that day. And at the end of it, we tick them off. If we'd have missed them, do we need to re, uh, revisit them on the next day of training? Do we have an opportunity to? Obviously, as the, the days to the game get, get shorter. Um, and again, those, those sort of uh, principles of our work is how we plan and how we reflect on each day. Um, trying not to overcomplicate the targets of each day. Simple, simple priorities. Have we done them? Yes, no. Can we move on it and keep our, our sort of processes is moving forward? Yeah, and it's just tying those principles down, isn't it? Because then you can refer back to those constantly. So whether it's the it's the longer term plan for the season or the weekly plan, you've got your principles there, and you that's that's what you're trying to tick off. Then, isn't it? It's basically essentially like a checklist. Yeah, that's it. Like I say, there's there's a long term plan for the season, and in all honesty, that's been set out from the day we came in in pre season. Um, I looked at a bit of the work that that Southampton have used over the last couple of years, and I think we can all agree from watching them in the Premier League that the output they have is, is pretty relentless and pretty pretty high in terms of of how they want to play, and it's quite similar to the way we want to play here as well. And and they use a three week cycle, um, sort of overload, maintenance, and an underload week, and it's something we've tried to implement this week. So each week we have our set targets, and we then have our principles on top of that. Um, and again, it's a case of, are we sticking to the plan? Um, I always think it's important to have a plan. Um, I remember being told at one point, even a bad plan is better than no plan. Um, so at least you're all on the same page. Um, and again, there's, I'm sure there's people that will pick, pick apart different methods we use of monitoring of different ways of, of how we do things. But ultimately, if you're all on the same page and it's, in a way, working for you at the minute. Can you stick to it? Can you keep being consistent in what you do on a weekly basis? Then ultimately, I think you put yourself in a strong position to, to make a success of, of what you're trying to do. Obviously, the quality of player then helps. Um, but again, as far as, as, again, going back to what my remit is, are we progressing physically? Are we being able to keep players available? And are those players available because they can deal with the demands of playing football? Yeah, superb. Jake, I'll move on to some of the quick fire just to, to wrap things up. So just initially, mate, what who even are some of the biggest influences on your career so far? Um, biggest influence on my career would have to be my dad. Um, again, growing up, he was a professional player. Uh, he's been a manager and a coach since his playing career as well. And ultimately, I always aspired to, to have his career, if you like. Um, again, when I was younger, little did we know he was actually studying as a, uh, for a sports science degree as well at the time, um, doing it alongside his playing. He's never actually gone back and, and sort of used that. Um, but again, when the more you think about it, the similarities between me and him are quite, are quite uh, strong. Again, he's, he's had a massive influence on me, teaching me. I guess, one, first of all, how to be a decent person, which I think 
I try and pride myself on. Um, I let other people judge that lob that goes with that. Um, it has put me in a good position. Brilliant. And then the next one, mate, what would you say your biggest strength is as a, as a practitioner? Ooh, um, I'd like to think I'm approachable. I think uh, I like to think I, I, I build good relationships with people. Um, again, early on and probably still at the time, I have to be careful to draw the line that I'm not a player anymore. Um, and unfortunately, there is times where we can't all be mates and I have to do what my role and what my responsibilities are. But I think, um, again, <laughs> the players might tell you different, but I like to think we've, we've built good relationships. And again, away from the club, I speak to ex-players that I've worked with and, and, um, and have just normal conversations that you'd have with your mates. Um, and I think that that's a, a trait that I pride myself on is I always want lads to be able to come to me with anything because if, if they can be open and honest with you, then they give you a hell of a helping hand to, to do your job to the best of your abilities. Brill. And then next one, what would you say is the, one of the best bits of CPD you've done recently? So whether it's a webinar, whether it might be a course, might be a podcast or an article or a bit of research, is there anything um, that sort of stands out for you? There's a couple of things. So I'm currently doing my basic supervisor experience. I'm on the process there. So I'm looking into to how I can sort of round myself off better as a, a practitioner. Um, so I've done a lot of looking into the psychological side of things. Um, the five C's I've just started sp uh, reading and, and looking over those sort of things. But I think the, the best, probably most applicable thing I've done in the past sort of six months is I did the velocity-based training workshop with Chris Toombs. Oh, yeah. Um, again, I don't know if, what your rules are on pushing products, but again, the, the company he works for, um, I do some workshops and it came, came to the Northeast and that was a brilliant day. Um, yeah. And we've got the technology in the club now. Again, I was lucky enough to be backed by the club to get that involved. And I'm in the process of sort of getting all the profiling done on our players to really fine tune the work we can do when we can do it in the gym in a more regular basis. Um, so yeah, the, the velocity based training stuff is something I'm looking at a lot at the minute. Um, and, and Chris was brilliant on that day. So anyone who gets a chance to, to do that sort of stuff, um, it was good. It was very hands-on. You did a lot of lifting, so <laughs> I felt the legs a little bit the day after. But no, it was a great day, and it's something that as soon as you leave that room or the wherever you do it, you've got something you can apply to your work and something that I think the, the research is suggesting is very efficient and very um, suitable for our environment, if you like, where volume isn't... Uh, something you have a lot of you you've got to make sure your work's done very precisely and very efficiently yeah yeah and then the final one mate. i know we've touched on this a little bit already but um what would you say is the most important trait for a coach to have um i think as a coach um i would like and i say being approachable is massive and being being that that good person that we've, we've talked about a little bit about being able to to differentiate the, the fact that the people we're working with still have a life away from work and still be a decent human being, still have care for people, still have respect for people. Um, and especially in, in the role that I've got, um, that's, that's massive. But even as, as a technical coach, I see it with managers at times where you sort of think they're stepping across the line and the, the respect sometimes goes out the window. I think 
being respectful to people and, and the human being that's that's actually there um, is massively important. And I think that then gets replicated in, in return. I think if you can respect them um, and you can treat them with the the almost the dignity, if you like, of, of what, what they are, and that's a human being and a person who, who maybe I've got other stresses that are more important than football, more important than the, the line of work you're in. Um, I think that's replicated on on behalf of the player, and and they, they have a um, that has a big influence on how they then act around you. I think that that's massively important is the respect and the um, human side of things that you, you have to be aware of. Yeah, definitely. And then just a just the final one is in terms of a player. What do you think the most important trait for a player to have uh, is to have? I think the the play, players these days have to be relentless in the work, work ethic um, I think there's so many sides of the game that have changed even since I was a player and we're only going back 10 years there um, you can't just be a, a good player anymore uh, if that makes sense but your technical ability alone will only get you so far unless you're a, a generational talent perhaps um, so the players nowadays have to have a work ethic we, again speaking to, to one of our lads Yesterday, it's almost a selfishness that you shouldn't be ashamed if you're the last to leave training because you're doing your own gym work or you're doing your own activation or you you look getting yourself looked after because you're a bit sore. There shouldn't be a, oh, he's a busy busy sod, isn't he? It's not, mm. it shouldn't be that. You should be a little bit selfish in what you do because ultimately the rewards there now for a player are huge. I think we all, we all know what the rewards if you're successful as a footballer are. So... You've got to be a little bit selfish, but you've got to be relentless. There's days where you don't really fancy working to 100%, but you have to because it's your job and it will only benefit you in the long term. So relentless and a little bit selfish, but at the same time, obviously, you're in a team environment. So it's learning when to be selfish, when to do your own stuff, but then when to put that into practice and be part of a bigger picture in a, in a team. Perfect. Mate, that was absolutely quality. Um, just finally, Jake, if people have got questions, they want to reach out because we've had a lot of people reaching out on the podcast saying, can we hear from coaches in League One, League Two, National League? So obviously this is a great one for um, coaches to listen to that have reached out because you've got experience in all those leagues and above. So um, in terms of if they want to drop you a message or anything like that, where's the best place they can do it? Yeah, um, like I said, I don't not massively um, over active on, on social media, but I do have a Twitter, Jake Simpson. I'm not sure the full tagline, but yeah, Jake Simpson, I'm sure I'll pop up uh, on Twitter. That's something I, I keep an eye on now and again. But again, anyone who's who's open, wants to have a chat with me, I'm sure if they drop you a message and I'll get you de my details over to them, not a problem, mate. No worries at all. Thanks a lot for your time, Jake. Really appreciate it, mate. And um Let's hope the rest of the season, well, let's hope the season finishes to start with. And I'll be a star. Yeah. Hope it's a successful one for you as well. No, I appreciate that. It's been a pleasure, mate. Really appreciate that. Top man. Thanks, Jay. Yes, thank you. Thank you for listening to episode 122 with Jake and big thank you to Jake for giving up his time. I know it's a really busy part of the season um, and he freed up some time for us to come on. So a big thank you to him for coming on the podcast. Takeaways for me on this episode, I think one of the main things that he spoke about early on in the episode was that playing the game doesn't give you the right to work in it. 
And I think that was a really interesting takeaway because I think a lot of people would think that having a playing career sort of gives you that boost up. Um, but he's the the opinion he had was it gives you no right to work in it. And you have to, when you do finish playing, and obviously Jake finished at a young age, you do have to then earn the right to work within football. And he's definitely done that working at the clubs that he's worked at, but also constantly working on himself as a practitioner as well. Teaching players why. We spoke about this a lot before and it, there's a reason it comes up so so regularly because it's so important, not just telling players what we're doing, but why we're doing it, explaining um, the, the sort of factor behind it, but then using the language that relates to them as well. The human aspect of football, we've said it time and time again, we're working with humans that play football. We're not necessarily working with footballers, so we need to speak to people on a human level. Um, and that ties in with the point that I just made about explaining why we're doing things. Um, and then a really interesting one for me was that bearing all this in mind with the soft skills and the human interaction, he spoke about being organized allows him time to interact with the players. And I found that really interesting because he's basically saying about having things set up so when the players come in, obviously that's something that a lot of people will do because it looks professional, obviously we prepared them. But his reason behind it was that he then, when the players come out onto the training pitch or whatever it is, he's got the time then to go around and speak to players. And then that's basically his wellness. He's That's where he's doing his wellness. He's trying to chat to as many people as he can. He said it wasn't always about communications with every individual. It could just be a scan of the room and just seeing body languages that might have changed recently. Someone might have had a crappy night's sleep from being up with the kids. There's loads of different things that can happen. So I think for me that, that organisation and having being organised before sessions is a really important one for that factor that it does just free up that time, give you that opportunity to interact with players. So some really interesting stuff in this one for me, I think from Jay, I, I think it was great to have him on and speak through um, a day in the life of a sports scientist. I hope you took plenty away from it. So please reach out and let us know what you did take away from it. As always, I encourage you to do that. Um, give us a tag on Twitter, on Instagram, or just share it between your groups, like on WhatsApp or send it out on email. Please share it with as much pe- as many people as you can that you think will benefit. You can go and follow Jake on Twitter. He's at jsimpson underscore s and c. So go and give him a follow um, and you'll be able to keep up with all the work that he's doing as well. But we've got some great guests confirmed and coming up very soon. I'm really excited for the next few weeks of the podcast. Um, But if anyone, again, has got any recommendations, we've had more people reaching out, giving us a few recommendations on email and and, uh, social media messages. If you do think of anyone that would suit the podcast that you think our audience would benefit from, please reach out and let me know, and I'll do my best to get them on. But again, Huge thank you for listening to the podcast. Please go and subscribe and leave leave us an iTunes review and I'll speak to you again in episode 123.